All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today for this episode of Real Live Talk. My name is Duke Lamastra. I'm your host. I'm really, really just blessed and honored that you're taking a moment to check out today's conversation. So thanks so much for joining me. Uh, I'm really excited to um, introduce and I hope that you'll join me in welcoming my guest for today, Dr. Brian Simmons. Brian and his wife, Candice, have labored together for the past several decades to present Christ in his fullness wherever God sends them. Their teaching and spiritual gifts have opened doors into several nations to bring the message of authentic awakening and revival to many, many, many people. Uh, together, they founded Passion and Fire Ministries, and Brian is the lead translator behind the Passion Translation of the Bible. And so let me go ahead and bring Brian up on screen here. Hopefully you can still hear me. Did that work okay? Yeah, sounding good. Thank you, Duke. Ooh. All right, good start. Well, uh, I just want to say, Brian, I'm I'm super pumped to just be having this conversation with you today. It's truly an honor to uh, to meet you. We really just met for the first time a few minutes ago, and so thank you so much for doing this and joining me today. Pleasure to be with you, my friend. And uh, I want to I want to uh, it's kind of my way of jumping into this uh, conversation here. I have been a uh, New King James ver uh, version of the Bible kind of guy. Like that's kind of my my go to. We, we, we turn to several other translations that we use for study and for clarity and things like that. But uh, very much me and, and in our church setting, we've been very much New King James people. But it's gotten to the point where we pretty much read the Passion Translation almost verse for verse behind what we do um, in our normal church settings and things like that. My wife is kind of our, uh, our Passion apologist, and so she's always got her passion translation. And so we'll be teaching, we teach in kind of a round table kind of a setting a lot of times. And so we'll be, we'll be teaching and sharing something. And my wife will always like, we just expect it. She's always interrupting. You got to hear what the passion says about this. And our church loves it. And uh, so I want to say that you're giving me major street cred today with my, with my church folks, because uh, we all, we all just love the passion translation. So. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I, I'm thrilled to be with you. And your audience, and uh, just honored to be involved in this uh, epic, you know, life-changing thing of translating the Word of God into English. It's just amazing. Yeah, man, I have so many, so so many questions, and uh, uh, but, but before we jump into, you know, maybe specifics and things like that, um, just a little bit of uh, the background story as far as what brought you to this point and how things, you know, how you, it's kind of a, oh, it's obviously a huge undertaking. It's been going on for several years already at this point, but it's huge undertaking to take something like a translation of the Bible. And uh, so anyway, what's just some of the backstory and what went into getting you to this point of where you are today and really yeah. just uh, getting to the point of, of uh, taking this on? Well, you know, I look at my life and in a way I can divide it into three slices. Uh, the time we spent in the jungle as missionaries, the time mm. we spent as pastors of a wonderful church in Connecticut. And then now the last 13 years uh, working every day on the passion translation. But, you know, our real, we cut our teeth in cross communication, cross cultural communication in the tribal village of Pucaro, right on the frontier of Panama and Colombia not far from where the drug cartel had set up base. And for years, we, we spent uh, translating, working on the language, helping uh, finish up the Payakuna alphabet, putting their language into print. And along with a Wycliffe Bible translator, 
uh, I had the great joy, great joy of having a small part in seeing the word of God brought into an indigenous language that had never had a written form. Their language had only been spoken for millennia of time and no one had ever put it into a written form. So for them to read the Bible in their own language, it was so powerful to watch the change in their life. So Hmm. returning to North America, we pastored 18 years in the Northeast and had a wonderful season there. And uh, the Lord at one point uh, spoke to me, not audibly, but he spoke to me and said, Brian, it's time to turn it over. So I handed our ministry over to a younger leadership team, and they have taken it and run with it and are doing fantastic. Our church is still flourishing there in West Haven, Connecticut. But uh, I kind of unemployed myself. So I'm asking God, what do you want me to do? And I was asking fervently, Lord, uh, I've still got some years left in my life on earth with your grace. What do you want me to do? And it was through that that uh, asking and that pleading that I had a beautiful, beautiful encounter. I was given this commission to translate the Bible into a new dynamic translation that uh, the Lord assured me that it would it would change the English speaking world and that it would change me. And uh, that has come to pass. So as you know, I've completed all of the New Testament. We have Isaiah, Genesis, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth that are now in print. And soon the next book out will be Ezekiel and Daniel. They'll come out in one volume, uh, hopefully before the year is over. And it will be, uh, you know, it'll be our offering to God. So yeah, it's been a wonderful journey for 13 years of every, every day getting into the scriptures and asking the Lord for his light and his glory and his grace and his insight. And uh, it, it's really, really, really gratifying to me. I'm humbled wow. by it. Uh, people ask me if I feel qualified to do it. And I said, no one is, mm. uh, but I'm called to do it. So at times you just step out in faith and you do what God has called you to do. And in that call in the commissioning is the qualification. So that's uh, where I put my confidence, not in myself or anything of my past, but in the Lord who gave me this task. Wow. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for taking it on. I, I can't think of anything more humbling than 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 something like this, you know? And I, I think that I, I was just thinking about for me, like what my what my mindset would be. I, I feel like I would just be so afraid <laughs> to undertake something like that for fear of changing something or putting something out the wrong way or putting my own opinion into it or something like that. Was there anything like that at the beginning for you as far well, as like reluctance or anything I, like that, that was, you know, challenging to overcome? Sure. Duke, almost every day, you know, I, okay. I, I'm, I'm striving and I want to use that word in grace uh, mm-hmm. to really present an accurate and readable uh, maybe we can get into the the discussion of Bible translations because, you know, accuracy is on a scale. Uh, what mm-hmm. about uh, what about context? What about emotional right. context? What about the heart right. of God behind the scripture who wrote it? Uh, there's so many nuances that need to be thrown into the pie when it comes to Bible mm-hmm. translation. We hear a lot, and I agree with the sentiment that we are never to add to the scripture. We hear that a lot. 
what we sure. never hear or hardly ever hear is we're not to take away from the scripture. Mm. And I feel like what I've been wow. doing in part is bringing back into the text at times what has been uh, minimized or diminished and even at times taken out. So it's a beautiful, uh, it, it's a beautiful, frightening thing to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I would encourage people actually to look at the the philosophy of translation that's available on the the website for the um, the the Passion Translation website. I guess it is right uh, because yeah. it explains in very good detail what you're talking about there. And I think that it would, you know, people that might have their opinions, you know, negative opinions or opinions one way or the other, like it, it kind of helps to dispel a lot of that because truthfully there is no translation that we have of the bible like i know people look at something like the king james version as being like like so accurate and everything else and there were <laughs> some there were, there's you know aspects of the translation that were purposefully you know changed in order to satisfy certain people who were alive at the time and things like that it doesn't to me take away from the validity or the authority of right. the word of god it's beautiful but you know, yeah. I, I do. I think that there's such value in in, you know, gleaning from pulling from different translations, different transliterations, different ways of, you know, interpreting the scripture. And I really appreciate what you're saying there about, uh, you know, in the 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 mindset behind, you know, we're seeking to interpret based on not just word like not just this word means this but right. the the context you mentioned emotional context like how do you even try to get into those kinds of things with you know words that were written thousands of years ago well great question uh let's take hebrew for example mm -hmm. uh hebrew is very very poetic and emotional yeah. It would be uh, wrong to make Hebrew the language of science. <laughs> That's Greek and English, right. because <laughs> Greek and English, uh, English even more so, is super precise. Yeah. It is super, yeah. you know, specialized. Uh, we we have millions of words in English, but biblical Hebrew had seventy five hundred words. Think about that for a second. Seven thousand five hundred words was all the Hebrew language in the time that it was written. That's mm -hmm. all the words in their vocabulary. Wow. And that, that forced it to become a homonymic language. Linguists call it a homonymic language in that virtually every Hebrew word has multiple meanings. So now if you want a word for word translation, it's a noble desire, but it's a myth. But mm. let's just try to do a word-for-word -word translation of the word yom, Y-O-M, yom. That word has 50 meanings. So which one are you <laughs> going to pick? You're going to lose 49 of them, okay, if you do word-for-word. -word. So it's, it's so important that we understand the context behind that. By the, word, by the way, the word yom means day. And uh, mm. the seven days of creation, the word day can mean a season, an epoch of time. It can mean a it can mean all kinds of different things. Wow. And yes, it can mean a 24 hour literal day as well. So mm -hmm. it's important that the context is brought into play as well as the heart of the author. I mean, you don't even have to be a believer to translate the Bible. 
You really don't. You could, if you're, if it's just linguistics right. and if it's just syntax right. and, and the uh, etymology of, of words and their roots and where they come from, da, 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 you don't need the Holy spirit. You can just translate. Right. But, uh, the Holy spirit breathed on the scriptures through the original manuscripts, the original authors, they were God breathed the spirit of the Lord moved through them to write inspired texts don't we need the spirit of the Lord to enlighten us and come upon us as we read it? You know, mm. the only way to understand the Bible is to get to know the author. Wow. Wow. That's the Holy spirit. He inspired it. Mm. Yeah. So on that, like, I would just imagine because you're, well, first of all, when did this project begin? How many years have you been yeah, in this now? Since 2009, 13 years. 2009. Wow. Okay. Um, so you've just been pouring over scripture, you know, line by line, literally, and spending, you know, your time on going through verses and chapters and just, of course, going through this process, like what yeah. a beautiful way to become more deeply acquainted with the author. And so my, I'm curious about you know, what's something that you could share that throughout this journey, I'm sure there's several things, but you know, what's something that sticks out to you as something that you've come to understand more deeply about the nature of God as you've been, you know, going through this yeah. process? His passionate love, his passionate mm -hmm. love for us. I'm working as we are doing this uh, podcast here, I'm working on Exodus 24 and it's Israel at Sinai and it's really a marriage covenant. People think the the uh, Mosaic covenant, it really shouldn't be called the Mosaic covenant because Moses was only a mediator. It was God and Israel, and it was God uh, engaging his heart to Israel. In other words, betrothing. Mm -hmm. He was taking Israel as a bride at Mount Sinai. Wow. And there's grace all dripping all over the Old Testament. Grace is throughout the Old Testament. Mercy, the chesed of God, the racham of God, which is the Hebrew word for compassion, mercy. Chesed is found 84 times. I mean, there, there's so many components to the heart of God that, that because of our misconception of him. Yeah. I mean, it's to the point where people don't even... There's one popular Bible teacher who says we don't even need the Old Testament. We should never read it. Right. Thinking, Bro, oh, yeah, it, it <laughs> paved the way for the Messiah to come. It, it, it painted the canvas. It, it prepared the stage for the central figure of all eternity, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, to come on the human stage and to win our hearts and to uh, die for our sins and to conquer us and thoroughly nuke us in his love. Mm. So the one inescapable truth for 13 years, really longer than that, I've been a Bible student for 50 years, over 50 years. I memorized half the New Testament. I, I've been hours in the scripture for 50, daily for over 50 years. The inescapable truth is we know so little about the love of God. Wow. We know so little about the love of God. We think we do because we can quote John 3.16, but sure. there, until our heart melts, the mountain of pride melts like wax within us, and we become a, a love slave, if I could say that, a mm. servant, the do loss with our ears pierced, 
at the doorpost that say, I love my master. I don't want to go free. I want to be his forever. To be like Paul, the prisoner of the Lord. That, that's, the, that's the consuming passion of God's heart. He doesn't want worker bees. They're called angels. He has a bunch of them. He wants lovers. He's after the emotion, the passion. He wants to grip us in a place where no human being could ever touch us. And that innermost sanctum, that's where he wants to set up base and yeah. flow through us and express himself through us. And, and thankfully, the, the word of God, uh, rightly, properly understood, will bring us to that cloud-filled chamber where it's Christ plus nothing. Wow. It, it always, um, it always kind of drives me crazy when I hear people say something like the God of the old Testament, uh, in terms of being different from the God of the new Testament, that, uh, that he wasn't the same God back then as he is now. And they'll say the, the old Testament God was like this and <laughs> things like that. And, uh, as, as if God wasn't loving or wasn't full of mercy and grace and loving kindness and compassion, you know, all throughout eternity all throughout you know the existence of of people and uh you know just what 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 would what goes through your mind when you hear something like that <laughs> well similarly i feel like that god wants us to know him as he really is and he mm -hmm. is the god of the bible and we call it the old and the new but it's really the right. word of god it's his expression and that expression became a human. He put skin on. John 1, verse 1, the living expression lived among us. And that mm. to know Jesus is to know, if you want to say it, the God of the Old Testament is Jesus in the flesh. So, uh, you know, there, there's puzzling things about Old Testament, uh, a lot of things, a lot of questions sure. I'm going to have yeah. when we get to heaven. But, you know, there's some puzzling things in the new testament i mean come on what about head coverings how come women aren't right. wearing head coverings i mean really uh and you can't wear jewelry uh the women can't wear jewelry and, and there's so many things even and in the new and Sapphira testament. Is one that gets me <laughs> yeah so just because we're puzzled or we see a, a mm -hmm. side of god that we're we're not accustomed to we're the one yeah. that has to adjust we don't adjust That's the right. Bible to tweak it to our theology. We let the word of God tweak our hearts and change us. That's right. Yeah, that's so good. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. You started, the first book that you translated was Song of Solomon, correct? My favorite. Yeah. Yeah. So is that <laughs> is that it? Because I was going to ask you why, what the reason was that you started with that one. Is it just because it's your favorite book or what was the reason that, that made you yeah, start there? I, I, people have asked me, do I have any, has God really giving me, given me the, the, you know, chronology of which ones to do? And I, maybe a little bit, but I, I just kind of doing what I feel led of the spirit. So I was led to do Song of Songs because my heart's passion is the bride and the bridegroom. And I feel like yeah. the most misunderstood book in the Bible, there's two of them and they happen to be my favorite. One is Song <laughs> of Songs and the other is Revelation. And they both, when you understand them, they unveil Jesus and his love like never before. And the Song of Songs, wow, uh, I take heat for this, but I don't care. Uh, I, I'm convinced uh, it's not erotica. Uh, there's not a woman I know that would want to be told her hair is like a flock of goats or her nose is like the tower of Damascus. 
inside her belly is a mound of wheat. I don't think there's any sensuality uh, in the terms that are found in that book. They are realities that speak of spiritual counterparts. And when you get a love lens over your heart, you see the bride and the bridegroom, that we're the Shulamite. The king is Jesus, not Solomon. He's one greater than Solomon. And interestingly, Solomon and Shulamite is the same Hebrew root word. It's the same Hebrew root word, one masculine, one feminine. And we're joined to Jesus. We are one with him. First Corinthians 6, 17, we're one spirit with Jesus. So, yeah, I, I see this beautiful journey in there, Duke, of, of how God uh, prepares a bride, how he equips her, uh, beautifies her, not with angry lectures, not with guilt-driven mm. theology, not with telling yeah. her every day what she is not, but calling things that are not as though they are. And this mm. love of Jesus, eight times he calls her beautiful in that book, eight wow. times. And eight is the number of a new creation. We're the the beautiful bride, the new creation species that that uh, was birthed from the wounds of, of Calvary. Mm. Uh, yeah. You know, I was, I was thinking about this recently, about how the first public miracle that we see from Jesus in John chapter 2 is he's at this wedding in Cana, and they run out of wine, and his mom's asking him, hey, can you uh, do something about this, essentially? And he's, you know, basically like, you don't understand what you're asking me. You know, you're asking me to do something that is um, very much like you want to you. This is we're going to help the party keep going. But for me, it's going to really change a lot of things because, yeah. you know, he said my time has not yet come. Right. Right. So he's like, this is not it's not time for people to for the cat to be out of the bag, so to speak, just yet. <laughs> and his heart of just love and compassion there and you know, based on what we, 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 Jesus says in John chapter five about, you know, only doing what I see my father do, he had to have a moment where, you know, one way or another, however it happened, but the father was on, had to, he had to know that the father was on board with this, that the father was, was prompting this thing to happen and that he had an assignment in that moment. And right. it's just so interesting to me, um, you know, kind of the beginning of of his of his uh public miracle working ministry his display of love his display of compassion in a in a situation that was not life and death this was not heal my paralytic child this was not my daughter is dead you know what i mean like this this yeah. was they were they were partying there was going to be they were probably going to be embarrassed if they ran out of wine early and it was like it, to me it shows so much of what god values right and yeah. I just think it's so significant that that the first public miracle that we see from Jesus is him at a wedding feast, you know, knowing yeah. who he is and that he's come as our bridegroom to call a bride, to prepare a bride um, for himself. And uh, I, I just yeah. think that that's such a beautiful you know, uh, picture of what he came to do. Yeah. If I could add, I, I think he came to bring us into that feast, that the wedding feast mm. is not in heaven. It's now. It's when you Come see on. yourself as his partner. Uh, it, the wedding feast has begun, and it began with the life of Jesus, you know, taking those six uh, stone ceremonial water pots, and that six is the number of man, and it's the religion of man that, you know, can bring you water, but he brings you wine. 
the mm. effervescence of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit into our life, into our dull religious duties, he brings a party and says, let's celebrate. The lamb is here. And, and wow, yeah, his first miracle was at a wedding. His last teachings were parables of a bride and a bridegroom. I mean, everything about the son of man is that it's not good that, that the son of man be alone. He wants a partner. He came to earth for an eternal bride, not for a kingdom. He already had a kingdom. He already has it. He didn't come for a throne. He already has a throne. The only thing he lacked was an eternal partner. And that's us, male or female. We become that lookalike forever bride to Jesus Christ. And I, that theology, bridal theology, the love theology, the love lens, when it gets over your heart, you will begin to interpret uh, scripture and see the light of love yeah. in a way you never have before. Yeah. 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 No, it's so good. You know, we can so easily look at scripture from through whatever lens we want. You know, we can look at scripture through a religious lens. We can look at scripture through a lens of God is mad at me. We can look through, you know, all these different lenses. And I think we really have a tendency to compartmentalize scripture. So we'll read certain passages and our focus could be on what you're talking about, on the love of God. But then we read other passages, and it's kind of like we look at it through a different lens because that's not what it's talking about there in terms of the word love, the word bride, the word like these things are not there. But what you're what you're expressing, at least what I'm hearing you express, is that um, you're you've been a, a big part of this whole translation of the of the Bible is we're looking at the entire thing through the lens of the passionate love of God for his people. Amen. Yeah. Right? And, and yeah. if God is angry, he's really angry. Okay. So it's not that we're eliminating <laughs> uh, the, an aspect of God's heart, but we're focusing yeah. on what he says is the greatest and what Paul says is the greatest, you know, and he himself says, you know, God is love. So to know love is to know mm. God. And we don't know God if we don't know love. So, I mean, uh, we got to get this love theology down because we will be weighed in the balance over yeah. the issues of love. And it's so important that we start with our, our God. We love him with all of our heart. Isn't that passion to love God with all of our heart, our mind, our strength, everything in us. And then we love one another. We love our families we love our mm. our children. We begin to love uh, our friends and even our enemies. If you love your enemies long enough, they won't be enemies anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good, Brian. Have you always excuse the the way I'm going to ask this question? <laughs> I, I just can't think of a better way to ask it. Have you always been this way, or like, um, have you? How did you become? This is probably a better way to ask this. How did you? kind of begin to become acquainted with the love of God in this way, because as, as we're having this conversation, as you're talking, yeah. it's just exuding from you. Um, it's, you know, just the, your, your passion for Jesus comes out in the way that you're, that you're talking. Um, when you were first introduced to God, even mm -hmm. to ministry or anything like that, um, was, were you, was it like this from the beginning or was no. this sort of a, a process of discovering uh, it, the, absolutely. the love of God in this way? How did I step into this? It was through my failures. It was through my flaws. 
and I was in the jungle and we had lost our missionary partners. They couldn't take it anymore. One of them uh, had to be carried out of the village and, and uh, we were alone. Mm. I mean, alone hundreds of miles from the nearest anything. And, Mm. uh, Candace and I, my wife, we had to find God. And one day I, I, was praying. It was actually under the mosquito net at night. And I was thanking God that, that he brought us here to reach these people. But Lord, you've got to do this. You have to reach this people. That's why you brought me here. And God interrupted my prayer. And he said, I didn't bring you here to reach the people. I brought you here to reach you. And if I could reach you, I could reach them. And something in me just melted. And, uh, I woke up or I got up that morning at sunrise and I went through the entire village and asked every single person to forgive me for my lack of love that I'd, I'd had anger in my heart. They would steal things from us. They, you know, I'd see their kids wearing all the clothes. My wife would hang out to dry. They would like grow legs and walk off. And the next day I'd see the village people wearing all of our clothes. And, and, uh, you know, I could go on about, them, but the truth was it was my heart that was getting hard, crusty, and insensitive to their need. And when I did that, the Spirit of God fell, and I witnessed for the first time in my life authentic revival. In the period of just a few days, nearly the whole village came to know Jesus Christ and they would fill our hut uh, and they'd press up against our bark wall and and they'd they just to hear us talk about Bob Dumadi, that's the name of God in their language, and and mm. the Abigali, which is God's trail or the Bible. You know, the word of God is God's trail. It's the tracks he makes going through the jungle. Wow. Uh, and, and to teach them in their own language of a God they'd never had known before, and to see them set free from demonic fear and bondage and and all their issues and, and come into the love and life of Jesus, like almost overnight. And it, it so marked us, Candace and I. And then uh, we ended up, uh, the Lord led us back to North America and pastoring. That's where I, I really got another dose. <laughs> you know, it's not easy to pastor. We had a church of 2,500 people and it was not an easy thing. Mm-hmm. And God, constantly tested me in the area of love. If I would love Mm. the people, we broke prejudice off of our church. We were basically uh, an Anglo church in a community that was not all Anglo at all. So Mm. I repented publicly and and asked all the people of color to come up on the stage with me. And I hugged them, kissed them and said, we're never going to be just a stiff white church only. We're going to reflect the kingdom of God. And uh, our church swelled from that point on with uh, people of color. And we had beautiful Asian, the Asian invasion, and it had so many ethnicities, probably 30, 40, maybe 50 different ethnicities in our congregation. And I had to learn to love. And I'm still in that journey. I I, want to say uh, I'm 71, and I'm so grateful for my marriage, for the wife of 51 years, who's been faithful. Uh, at my side throughout this journey and my darling children and grandchildren and some great grandchildren. But every, every test of life is a test of more love. 
will you answer this with more love, either more love for God and his ways and his timing or more love for people and to see them through the lens of God's heart. Wow. So that's, that's the journey that we're all on. And to minimize the gospel of grace or the, the love theology is to end up cranky. It's to end up with a, a hard, brittle spirituality that just wants to argue on social media. And we push our opinions like they're gospel truth. And, and before long, you know, we don't get along with people, including family that we're told to love and set above all. So I, I just think drenching our heart in the love of God is the, it's the hot tub for the soul. It's, it just relaxes, it soothes the heart and it makes us uh, winsome. It makes us uh, someone that people will want to be around. Yeah. And that's, that's our heart is to, to win people uh, with, and use words if we have to, but to yeah. win them. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. I think that's why Jesus summed it up in the way that he did you know, when asked about the greatest commandment um, or the first commandment, you know, that he, he summed it up the way that he did with loving God and loving others. Um, because in, in saying that, in, in simplifying the law, he said, on these two hang all the law and the prophets, right? right. So in simplifying that, he wasn't saying, you don't have to not covet your, what, your neighbor's wife anymore. You don't have to not kill people any. Like, he wasn't saying that. He was actually love the the love factor actually calls you to a higher standard than just don't do bad things to people he's saying look if yeah. you'll do this if you'll love me and you'll love people and that's your focus then these other things are going to automatically hang on those like these other things are going to automatically fall into line and it's not yeah. this like grit your teeth kind of thing like oh i have to forgive this person oh i have to not do this oh i have to no. treat this person better or pretend like i like this person it's like no when you've encountered the love of god and it's brought change and transformation to your life and you recognize that god is love and you're created in the image of love then like this is who you are and when that's your focus you know then it it's the yeah. automatic outflowing of your life that you're going to you're going to treat people well. You're going to do these things. And it's so powerful. It's actually, it's a higher standard to, to focus on, on love rather than yeah. just not hurting. Or, well, you know what I mean? It is the fruit of the spirit. Uh, true Greek scholars will tell you that the fruit of the spirit is singular. There's only one in mm -hmm. eight different expressions. And that one yeah. fruit of the spirit, singular, is love. love. And the other eight are expressions of love. Joy is love exalting Peace is love at rest. Meekness is love at school. It's just, it's all expressions of this fruit or harvest yeah. of the spirit. So our spirituality is not suppressing sin, but expressing the Savior, expressing through our mm. words, our attitudes, our, our life, uh, the love of Jesus Christ. I mean, if he can't change our heart into loving containers dispensers of the divine, mm. then uh, maybe maybe he's not real, but he wow. can and he will wow. change the hardest heart, the most despicable, shameful person on earth and make them into the vessel of love. You know, Paul, the apostle, he gives us 1 Corinthians 13. It's in the Bible, friends. Greatest of these is love. And yet 
he killed Christians. I mean, he was a murderer. He was violent. He was so bound by religious duty, righteous in himself, but not before God. Right. Right. So, yeah, I, I, there's no verse in the Bible that says don't love too much. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> no, God That's will a... never rebuke you for being too loving. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that's so good. Yeah, man. That, that that even even just that example right there of Paul of being, you know, blinded by religious duty, thinking that you're, you know, great zeal wow. for God, thinking that you're doing something amazing, thinking that you're you're serving God by destroying other people's lives like you know how wrong we can be when we get away from the source you know when we get away from god's and in, god's intent you know when we get away from that and our focus becomes on these other things mm. get into some really dark places it's beautiful um so do you have a favorite um being I'm being a little bit nerdy just asking questions about about the passion here but uh do you do you have a favorite book that you've uh book of the bible that you've translated is well I know I don't I don't mean that uh cuz I know that song of solomon is your favorite but in other words um which one did you have the best time translating or where maybe you you saw some things um that you weren't expecting to see like I I know for me even just as you know with some writing that I've mm -hmm. done and and things like that I know I often have an agenda when I'm going into this book because I've maybe already outlined it to an extent and I have some thoughts down and I'm just, I'm going and, I, and I'm writing and my focus is on what I'm writing. But as I'm writing, what I find a lot of times is that God has a different agenda, kind of like what you mentioned there, being in the jungle, thinking that, you know, God's like, hey, I don't, I didn't bring you here so that you can serve. I, I, I brought you here because I want to get to your heart. And yeah. so I find that God often kind of turns it and, when I'm sitting there, I'm thinking like, oh, I'm going to write some words and bless some people. That's kind of like my mindset or the goal. But God often has a different agenda. I find at, throughout that process where he's wanting to get to some issues of my heart. And so I end up writing about things that I'm like, wait, but I haven't even fully dealt with that. You're like, I'm just realizing this. And, 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 and I end up writing about things that God is actually dealing with in me in the moment. Hmm. So just, you know, I, I don't know if this is a couple pronged question, but um uh, I don't know, like, does that kind of thing, like where maybe you have a, you feel like your agenda is in a certain direction, but as you get in there and, and you're going through and, and, and maybe uncovering some things that you weren't previously aware of where, yeah. you know, God just brings that. Is there a particular book where that, that happened a lot? There, there is. And I, I think on a macro level, we all have to lay aside our preconceptions when we come to the Bible, because we've all been taught, you know, and uh, hopefully we've been taught well and we've heard truth but mingled at times in the things we hear is uh stuff that we got to filter out and it's like a, a little bit of a mixture so i purposely when i come to the scripture to translate i i just ask god help me to look at it as though it was for the first time mm -hmm. and then to look into the uh you know the hebrew itself and and uh, dig some deep wells into the words it really really fascinates me. The one book that has rocked me lately, and this will surprise you perhaps, but it's the book of Habakkuk, mm. or as we said in Bible college, Habakkuk. But Habakkuk, uh, Habakkuk <laughs> that prophet, I mean, the backstory, do you realize that uh, Jewish scholars believe that 
Habakkuk was the Shunammite's woman who was raised from the dead by Elisha. You know, he stretched himself wow. out over the child and wow. raised him from the dead. And uh, he got the name Habakkuk, which means hug. His name means hug. So there's a prophet in the Bible whose name means hug. I mean, come on. How can you how can you preach doom if your name is Hug? You know. <laughs> so and he perhaps got that because he was virtually hugged by the prophet Elisha to be raised from the dead. But there's more. Uh, this will fascinate our listeners, our viewers here, because in in our Protestant Bible, the book of Daniel ends with chapter 12. Mm. But in the Orthodox, there is two chapters of Daniel that we do not have in our Bibles. And in Daniel 13 and 14, we have an amazing account of Habakkuk, who was the prophet, and he was cooking a meal for the harvesters, for the reapers. Mm. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and God spoke to him and said, I want you in Babylon. There's a work I want you to do in Babylon. And Habakkuk said, how can I get there? I'm, I, I'm hundreds of miles away. And God lifted him up and transported him. This is wild. Translated the prophet and dropped him down into Daniel's lion's den. And the meal that he was cooking, he ended up serving Daniel dinner in the lion's den. I mean, you're right. I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I wasn't either as I did some research. And, uh, you know, people can verify this. It's in uh, some... Protestant scholars would view this as apocryphal, but having looked at it, I can see why, because it's so far out and Mm. uh, it's just crazy. So Daniel 13 and 14 added uh, to other Bibles that we do not have in our Protestant Bible. That's whether or not it actually happened. I think it's fascinating to consider that God, you know, we talk about a God who can do anything. There's no impossibility. And then he does something that is impossible to us. And then all of a sudden Mm. our unbelief, you know, builds a wall in our heart. But uh, I think every book I've translated has a special, will always have a special place in my heart. I was greatly moved in translating the book of Proverbs Mm. uh, as I got to the end and realized that Proverbs 31 was not a woman. It's not talking about a Mother's Day sermon in Proverbs 31. It's a parable of the last day's church, the radiant bride. And I I have almost 50 footnotes in the chapter to explain uh, the text and how it is an allegory. And it's, you know, it's very difficult to apply that to modern, uh, the modern mom of today. And I've ruined a lot of Mother's Day sermons with that teaching, but there's, there's, Proverbs, and there are parables, and there are stories embedded in the scripture. And if we are always going to hyper-literalize the Bible, we will end up in error. Mm, There are some things in the Bible that you cannot, absolutely cannot take literally. So Mm. when you begin to open that realm of metaphor and allegory and and a, a depth of meaning behind the words of the text— Wow. It, it's, uh, it's an encounter. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, oh man, 
that that's how that's how we need to read the Bible, right? Is is that we're reading to deeper level? It, yes. Yeah, that we're encountering Him. We're encountering God as we read, um, and and I and I I think that should be our goal, right? Like. Like if, if I'm reading scripture, man, if, if I'm reading scripture and not not discovering Jesus, then <laughs> I'm probably becoming more like a Pharisee because that's what they did. Right. Like they devoted their whole lives to the study of the scripture. And Jesus tells them, you know, he's like, you search these scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. And so yeah, the Bible is... reading and not discovering Jesus, then. Yeah, we're missing. We're missing a reality. Every verse in the Bible is God breathed and it's an on-ramp into God's heart. Mm. And if you go on a quest to find God's heart and to find what makes him move, what moves his heart, why do the elders throw their crowns down? You know, what, what, what's the backstory Mm. to all of this? Mm -hmm. And I think that's why the chosen series is so popular because it it brings a backstory for people to connect Mm -hmm. with. And God doesn't want us to simply read the Bible. I don't know of any verse that says read the Bible. He wants us to know his heart. And of course, we know his heart through the scriptures. And I'll never minimize the importance of scripture. Sure. But it, it, it must point us to Jesus who points us to the Father. Amen. Whew. So on the other hand, is there is there anything, any any part, whether it's a book or a chapter or section um, in your translating that you that sticks out in your mind as something that was particularly challenging or maybe that you had to wrestle with quite a bit? Ezekiel has been oh, yeah. the hardest book for me to translate, and I, I don't know exactly why, uh, but uh, I, I wrestled my way through that book, and I feel comfortable with the final product. It's been theologically reviewed by a handful of scholars. So I'm content to release it and it will be out very soon. But I mean, there's, there's like, there's a chapter, a couple of chapters that, I mean, you think song of songs is confusing. Wow. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there's some powerful things. And then you have the temple, the, the last latter part of Ezekiel speaks of the temple, which, Many believe is a temple that's going to be rebuilt in, in Jerusalem, but I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see a rebuilt temple. If there is a temple rebuilt in Jerusalem, God will have no part in it because he tore one down and he did a great job tearing it down. And he's not going to call somebody to go and sew the veil back up and offer animal sacrifices. And we've gone past right. that. We are now, right. we are that living temple of God. Uh, the church is the dwelling place of Almighty God. He left the building and he's out of the box. So he's not going to be put back into a building and back into a box again. Right. So, right. yeah, Ezekiel was challenging. Um, I'm told by other Bible translators um, that the book of Job is probably the most difficult book to translate. Okay. So I'll be saving that for last. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that one's going to be last, you know, and for the New Testament, if I could bring this in, uh, I, I kind of tossed in that thought about head coverings. But first Corinthians 11 was the most difficult chapter for me in the New Testament. Okay. Uh-huh. And I, I'm totally open to revision and will likely have significant revision of the text uh, when it comes out in 2027 as the whole Bible is released 2027. Okay 
but yeah, I mean, there's some puzzling things in that chapter. And if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go read it. First Corinthians 11. Yeah. And um, you might want your wife to get a head covering or a scarf. <laughs> what, what are we going to do with those passages? You know? Yeah. Oh man. No, thank you so much for sharing. So, so 2027 is the, uh, that's the timeline for having the whole enchilada completed. Yeah. That's our goal. And um, I'm uh, like I said, I'm halfway through Exodus now and we'll work our way through the Pentateuch or what the Jews call the Torah uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, the, the historical books and Ecclesiastes and Job, and it's a wrap. I have 15 books left to go. Man. So you, you, so you have a handful then that are already written, right? But, ju- but just haven't been released right. yet. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I have uh, okay. uh, Jeremiah all the way to Isaiah, all the way to Malachi is done. Isaiah's oh, in print. But the rest of them are, are coming out. And uh, the, what we call the minor prophets, uh, we're going to call it the 12. That's what the Jews call it. Uh, it's kind of mm. like saying a minor nuclear bomb. Uh, the, the minor right. prophets. Just because they're sh- Yeah, they shouldn't be. They're like little postcards, but they shouldn't be called minor prophets. So we're going to. It's condescending, uh, right? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, we're going to release it and call it the 12. That's cool. Because there are there are four major and twelve minor. It's kind of like four gospels and the twelve apostles. So mm, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. Man, well, uh, yeah, we'll we'll get ready to wrap this up. If I could ask you on a completely different question, uh, something just uh, occurs to me here, and and uh, completely unrelated to the Passion Translation of the Bible, <laughs> I've really really enjoyed. Again, I really enjoy um, the Passion Translation and. Uh, my Thank family you. does. My church does. It's it's really brought a lot of value to our lives um, in really personal ways. And so thank you so much for for this endeavor and really this this labor of love that you've um, undertaken. I really, really thank appreciate you. it. Um, uh, off script here, just um, what what's something that you I don't know, is there something that you have on your heart just in general for the church? Um, just like maybe, maybe, maybe looking ahead, maybe just something that you're sensing from the Holy Spirit, um, something maybe that's just kind of burning in the heart of God that he wants to do reveal to his people on a, on a grand scale. Right. Uh, does, does the question I'm asking make sense? I'm having a hard time articulating yeah. it, but I think I, I'm hearing your heart. Um, uh, what I see coming is a mighty revival an awakening and I have been in moves of God. I have experienced it. I've been flattened by God's glory. We've, <laughs> we've had uh, signs and wonders that will mm-hmm. leave me wondering for years. We've had so many divine encounters and expressions of power that I believe is going to happen on a wide scale. Uh, I, I believe that the steel punch of God is about to break through the darkness of our planet and that a hope-filled gospel has to burn in our heart that the greatest days of glory are yet ahead. And uh, if I could like get us off the rapture rug for just a little bit and realize that uh, God's ultimate plan is to repopulate the earth with people just like Jesus. And the more we yield to him and the more we flow in his spirit and walk with him, 
we're going to shift the nations. I think revival is the only thing that's going to turn our nation is a true full-fledged, full-throttle revival with no limits, no human control, God unleashed, raw right out of the can, 100% undiluted God coming forth in power, sweeping the nations, and the golden sickle of evangelism be given to the hands of his last day's reapers. And we're going to see uh, you know, we're going to see things on earth that we've never imagined before. So I believe great days are coming. There are thick clouds on the horizon, but if you're on the wrong side of that cloud, it's doom and judgment. But if you're on the glory side of that cloud, it is the glory of the Lord will shine and rise upon you. So uh, there's every reason for hope, no matter what people are going through, what hardship, pain, loss, rejection, grief, uh, unresolved issue in your heart, God is going to win the day and he's about to show off. He's about to come in splendor. Well, That's what Amen. I think is coming. Amen. I'm a revivalist. Amen, Brian. I translated my hobby. <laughs> you know what I'm For revival. Yes. Oh, man, that is so good. Um, Brian, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and uh, for for sharing. It's uh, really just an honor to chat with you today. So thanks so much for doing this with me. Thank you. Um, Good to get to know you, Duke. You're amazing. Yeah, thank you so much, Brian. Um, before before we wrap it up, um, where can we just point some people that are maybe interested in, first of all, checking out the Passion Translation or any of your other books, resources, things of that nature? What's a good place to point some people? Yeah, I, I, of course, Amazon, Christian Book, uh, Barnes & Nobles, there's all kinds of places where you can purchase the stuff. But I really think there's uh, a wealth of information on thepassiontranslation.com. Be sure you put the word the in front of it, thepassiontranslation.com. And there's an FAQ page that, wow, there's so many questions. We list the scholars that are helping me. We, we have so many answers to uh, some of the uh, myths about Bible translation and some of the unfair criticism that has been lodged against it. And uh, so, yeah, go there and you can, you know, have fun looking around and there'll be links to go to other places to find a place to buy it. Awesome. Um, well, everybody, please check out those resources and uh, thank you guys for stopping by and taking some time to check out this conversation. Really, really appreciate you all. So uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. And uh, Brian, again, thanks so much for your time, uh, taking some time out of your day and, and joining me. I really, really just enjoyed the conversation. And again, it's just a pleasure to meet you. So thanks again. Love you, bro. Thank you so much, Duke. Yeah. Love you too, man. Love you guys. Have an awesome day. See you next time. Just another thanks to Dr. Brian Simmons for coming on the show today. And uh, thank you all again for taking the time to check out this episode. I pray that the content, that the conversation blessed you, encouraged you, challenged you, made you think. If you got anything out of it, please consider subscribing or even leaving a review on one of the podcast platforms. And I hope you'll come back for a future episode. Thanks again.